0: So we are continuing in our series called 30-Minute Theology. Uh, Theology kind of gets a bad rap. Sounds boring. Sounds like something you would learn in school. Sounds like it's not for me. Today, we are talking about marriage. Marriage. Oh guys, don't sound so excited. Come on. <laughs> Wait, what does marriage have to do with theology? I'm excited that you asked or that I asked for you. Okay. <laughs> if you were here last week, if you were here last week, we uh, we talked about the role of women in ministry. It's often debated. There's a lot of people that disagree with me, but there are a lot of people that agree with me. And we looked at what the Bible actually has to say about women teaching and being in leadership in the church. If you haven't had a chance to go back and listen to that if you weren't here I strongly encourage you to listen to it because it is uh, not just foundational not just what we believe the bible teaches but it's it's a future that we're going to take with the with the church and the and revive specifically if you haven't listened to it I'll give you a hint to we asked the question can she preach I'll give you a hint to how we answered it next week we will be having a guest speaker and her name is Lucinda, okay? She has uh, recently felt the call to be a pastor. And so she goes to a, another Wesleyan church that's in our area, and she's pursuing that ordination call. And one of the beautiful things about a church our size is people that may not get the opportunity to develop their craft, develop their skill, they can have that opportunity here. And I think it's very important that we hear from men and women. So next week we will be here, but we are going to have a guest speaker and she's going to be preaching for us. So I'm very excited about that. And I would challenge you to do everything you can to be here, both to support her and to hear what the Lord has for us through her. So I encourage you to be here for that. Um, I make that announcement because today's message is kind of a continuation because I've always felt that the Bible uh, lifts up women being ordained and being in ministry, but I haven't always felt that it was the same inside of marriage, right? I look at the Bible and I said, the Holy Spirit, you know, I think the Holy Spirit gifts men and women. He can give women to teach. But when I look at the Bible and I think about the roles that we play as husband and wife, or if one day you want to be married, as the roles you would play in husband and wife, to me, the husband was the leader. It's always it's what's always been taught to me. It's always how I've learned. And that you know, Lauren was she's great. She's got a lot of wisdom, but I'm in charge, right? (laughs) And so, (laughs) (laughs) right? So, so the title of
1: today's
0: (laughs) the title of today's message is Who Wears the Pants? Hey. So, uh, if if you have your Bibles, we will be in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 21 through 32. And there's lots of scripture that you can unpack about marriage and to, to kind of look at what I'm going to be supporting and preaching about today. But this is the passage that when I read it, to me it said that I am the leader, right? I'm responsible for her spiritual life. I'm responsible for her career life. I'm responsible for Addie Lee's future. It was all on my shoulders, right? And I got that from this passage. So let's just read. Let's just see what it has to say. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 32. It says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now I want everybody to listen closely to this next verse. Wives, Submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. Okay, got it? Lauren, don't look at me like that. Okay, okay, so we'll keep reading, we'll keep reading. Verse 23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. So make her holy, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the through the word, and to present her to Himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and they care for their own body, just as Christ does the church. For if we are members of the body, for, th- for we are members of the body, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that through your miraculous power, it's been preserved over all of these years, that it's there for us to read and study and apply to our life. I pray today, Holy Spirit, that you will just wrap us in your arms, that you will speak through me, that it wouldn't be my words, but it'll be your words, that you'll speak to specific situations, whether I talk about them or not, that you'll, Lord, you'll just whisper in our ears the direction, the guidance that you have for us. In your name we pray, amen. So we're looking at this passage, and it tells me that wives should submit to husbands because husbands are the head of their wife as Christ is the head of their church of the church right but if you go back to week 1 of this series and we looked at the bible we said that the bible is a group of letters written to to a specific group of people at a certain time. It wasn't written in a bubble that that this is actually Paul writing to a church in Ephesus back in this old time, right? And so if we're going to understand what the Bible means, what the Bible says, we have to understand all the stuff that's going around it. And we don't just pick out one verse, but we take all of Scripture. We let the Bible interpret the Bible, right? And if we look at the book of Ephesians, it's really a letter. So this whole book, Paul is sitting down and, and he's pinning it out and he's writing it and he's writing to this church in Ephesus and he says, hey, I've got this message for you for this church, right? I want somebody to stand up and read this letter to the whole church so everybody can hear it. And this whole letter has a theme. It's all got this description, This whole, it's all got this thing that Paul's trying to get at. And we we're just looking at one little part of it. But if we look at the whole book, the whole letter of Ephesians, we see that Paul is championing Championing <laughs> unity, right? He wants the church to be one. He sees that there's some divisions. He sees that there's some some sides rising up and others not raising up. He sees that there's that that de- the devil is starting to get a foothold in the church because of some broken relationships. and And he says that he's trying to say that you know what the church is supposed to point people to Jesus. That's what this is all about. It's not about you. It's not about them. It's about Jesus. And the church is supposed to be pointing to Jesus. And the way that they point to Jesus is by the way that they get along, by the way they build each other. Up by the way they love each other, by the way they love the world around them, those that don't look like them, that don't act like them, the way they love them, that's what points to Jesus. And if we're gonna be a church, we have to be unified. Right? And so he goes through we if you go back and you look at our, our series that we did called Rumble Strip, we unpacked the passages right before this, right? And 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 Paul is saying, hey, this is how you get along, loving one another, being there for one another, singing for each other. If you go back and you keep reading. And then it gets to verse 21, and it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he's got all of this passage talking about unity. And then the, the, if you go and you look at the Greek, and I don't want to get too deep in it, but this is like a, a linking sentence. It's saying, Hey, look, by doing this, you submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The next passage is where we see, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. But if you go back and you look at the original language that hasn't yet been translated into English, that word submit is not there. The literal translation would be wives to your husbands. So what Paul is saying, he's saying, hey, look at what came before this. Look at what came before this. I said submit to one another. So wives submit to you. This is basically like an illustration. You guys know how I use illustrations sometimes where I make a point and then I tell a story that kind of explains or amplifies that point. That's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, hey, we want unity. Submit to each other. For example, one way that you could be unified is in your marriages. Wives, you should submit to your husband as your husband is the head of the church, as the head of the the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. We're supposed to be unified and Paul is saying, this is how you do it. He, he's talking to marriages because he sees the potential and the power of marriage. You got to understand that, that when I read this, when I read this passage, I feel like Paul's talking to me. Can I just kind of, can I tell you what the Holy Spirit kind of d- did to me when I read this passage? The, the Holy Spirit starts asking me, he says, you know what, how's it going? How's it going with your marriage? How's it going with your relationships? Specifically, George, with Lauren, are you joyful? Does your marriage make you happy? Not just in like happy, like I just got to watch my favorite TV show, but like even when life is crumbling around you, is your marriage there like a rock bringing you joy? But not just you, what about Lauren? Is she happy? Is your marriage bringing joy to her? is your spouse joyful listen to you maybe the holy spirit is asking you this morning are you joyful when you look at your marriage is your spouse joyful when they think about your marriage are you unified or do you fight all the time are you thriving is your spouse thriving are your kids thriving if you go into if you keep reading past what we read into it talks about children obeying your parents it's talking about this family unit this relationship And Paul is saying, hey, the church is vitally important in advancing the gospel. But inside of the church are these tiny little church units, right? These tiny little units called the family. Is your family unified? Are you thriving? Are you moving forward? Because I think that if we can understand this concept, and Paul goes in to kind of unpack what it means to have a unified family. And what's crazy about this is he doesn't say, hey, when you face this issue, this is how you address it. Right? He doesn't say, hey, when your husband is all he's ever doing is drinking and watching football, this is how you should address it. Or he doesn't say, hey, when your wife has stopped cleaning the clothes and they're piling up and she's not doing, he doesn't talk, what he says is, look, you be unified and whatever issue may come up, whatever thing may happen, whatever roadblock may present itself, if you can come back to this teaching and say, you know what, wives submit to your husbands and husbands love your wives, which AKA is verse 21, everybody submit to everybody, then you can address those issues. So Paul is saying, hey, Let's be unified. It's not about wives submitting to a husband who is an authority. If you go back and you listen to last week's message, we go into it a little bit deeper, but there's a a verse in Matthew where the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, they're talking about marriage. They say, hey, Jesus, when is it permissible for a man to divorce his wife? And at this time, you got to understand that women were property. A man could divorce his wife whenever they wanted and Jesus says, well, let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the beginning. And he, he tells them the creation story of Adam and Eve. And, 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 and when doing that, he, he says that the, God created humanity in my image, man and woman. They were both given authority, not over each other, but over the earth, over creation, See, there's this unified authority, this co-leadership, this us together, not man over woman, but man and woman. You saw the scripture on the screen during our prayer time, but Galatians 3.28 says that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. So what's really interesting about this is when it's talking about Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, it's talking... It says nor, right? Neither slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile. But when it gets to male and female, it says male and female. It doesn't say nor, right? And so you, what's crazy, what's cool is when you look at the Bible and you see these little nuances like that, you realize that there's a significance there. If you go and you look that that God created them Man and woman, male and female. There's neither male and female. Paul is drawing, he's drawing this conclusion. He's saying, hey, he's echoing what Jesus taught. He's saying that, listen, men and women are different. They're different. We're created different. There's different things that, that, Give us drive. There's different things we're passionate about, and even inside of your own relationship, you have different upbringing. There's different things that your family valued versus what your family valued. It's like two worlds combining, right? And Paul is getting at that. He's saying, "Listen, listen to this. There's, there's not. You guys are different. You're different. You have, you have, you both have things that are just amazing about you, and you both have things that you need to work on, right? But what happens is when we get into a relationship. When we get married, correct me if I'm wrong, you've got these two cultures, these two worlds colliding, right? Do we open up presents on Christmas Eve? Do we open up presents on Christmas morning? Do we go see your family? Do we go see my family? Do we, what's our traditions? Are our kids going to believe in Santa, or are they not going to believe in Santa? Are, our kids gonna, are they going to go to uh, private school, public school? Are they going to be homeschooled? Well, I was homeschooled, yeah, but I went to private school, and I definitely turned out better than you. So our kids, you see what I'm saying? You have these two worlds colliding. And what happens when two worlds collide? Earthquakes, explosions, <laughs> landmines, and you guys know what I'm talking about. When these things come together, there's, there's all kinds of disruption. And what Paul is saying here is, is let's be unified. Let's take these landmines and turn them into fireworks, if you know what I'm saying, right? Like That's what Paul is getting at. He's saying we are unified because our marriages are not about us. They're a picture of the relationship that we should share with Jesus. No matter what's going on around us, we can have joy, no matter how good or how bad life is. I have a shirt that's got a bunch of different markings on it, but it basically is saying that God is greater than the highs and lows. When you're on the mountaintop, you're experiencing the highest high you've ever had. God is greater than that. And when you're in the valley, the lowest low you've ever had, God is greater than that. There's this relationship that is always edifying us. It's always lifting us up, making us better. And that's what our marriage is supposed to be like. When you lay your head down on your pillow at night, is your marriage, I ask you again, is your marriage, is your relationship bringing you joy? Is it making you a better person? Is it pointing you to Jesus? Is it pointing your kids to Jesus? Is it pointing your relatives, your friends, the people you see at the grocery store? Is it pointing people to Jesus? Because that's when our relationships begin to soar. That's when they begin to take off and fly is when we are unified in Christ. If the answer to those questions is no, my marriage doesn't do this, here's the hard truth. It's time for something to change. Paul is saying marriage is too great of a design. The relationship of a husband and a wife is too great of a connection. The dynamic of you and your spouse as a team has too much potential to change the world, to be left rotting in an unhealthy, broken, bitter state. And Paul is saying let's be unified to point to Christ. And how do we do that? Wives, submit to your husbands. Okay, let's pray and go home. (laughs) <laughs> I'm kidding. How do we do that? How do we do that? It's mutual submission. If you're going to get points from this message, point number one is that we're supposed to be unified pointing to Christ. Point number two is mutual submission. We kind of unpacked this a little bit, but it's wives. it, it, it all stems from submitting to one another. It all stems from verse 21. If you jump straight into verse 22, you miss the whole point. Verse 22 pulls the verb. It pulls submit from the verse before it. So it is all about submitting to one another. That's submission. There's this, this beautiful picture. You've got to think about who Paul is talking to. When he says, we have to be unified. For example, wives submit to your husbands. Everybody is like, amen. Even the women are like, amen. That's my role. That's what I've been taught. I have to submit that my husband owns me. That, he, he's drawing people in with that statement. And then he keeps going, he says, and husbands, you should lay down your life for your wife. You should love her. You should sacrifice for her. And they're like, hold up, what? <laughs> All right, Paul, now you had me You had me at submit for her, but culture tells me that I own her. I don't have to submit to her. I don't have to love her. Uh, you, Jesus, it, He he talks about Jesus, right? What did Jesus do? Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. He's laying there. He's so... He's got such anguish about him that he's literally sweating blood and he's praying to God, Lord, I know what's coming before me. I know how terrible the cross is. I know how how the the people I love the most are gonna turn their back on me. People are gonna beat me and abuse me, spit on me, injure me and hang me on that cross and that you're gonna see me and you're gonna see the sins of the world on me. Lord, if, if it's be your will, take this cup from me. But in that moment, Jesus, who don't get me wrong, has authority over humanity. Jesus, who is our leader, but in that moment, submits. He says, not my will, but yours. And he goes to the cross, and he dies for our sins so that you and I can have forgiveness, so that you and I can have eternal life, so that you can can Thrive, be joyful. Remember those words we were using earlier? Because Jesus led by example. And he's saying, husbands, husbands, are you willing to lay down your life for your wife? It's mutual submission. He talks to women and men. And and if you're like me, You hear this teaching and you say, yeah, but he does say head of your wife as Christ is head of the church and Christ is our leader, right? So that means I'm the leader of my wife. That's what this passage is teaching me. And that's how I understood it for years. Even as a pastor of this church, this is how I believe. And I started studying it because because when I looked at Lauren and I's relationship, it wasn't me leading all the time it revive wouldn't exist if there wasn't a conversation in our living room in South Carolina as we're pastors, as youth pastors. And Lauren says, hey, I feel like God is telling us to move on. She's leading me, leading me in this moment because I don't want to say no I'm going to be a youth pastor I'm going to stay here God starts to stir her heart first she starts to say hey I think God's releasing us and she leads me out of the youth ministry and if it weren't for that conversation if it weren't for that mutual submission if it weren't for her leading me Revive wouldn't exist we wouldn't be here today And so when I'm thinking about it, and I read this as I'm the leader and I'm always leading but I look at our relationship and our marriage, listen to me. There's a lot of things I do wrong all the time, but I love our marriage and I love our relationship. And I don't always get it right and she doesn't always get it right. We fight, right? Trust me, we fight. But our marriage is like this rock that sustains me. It's, it's a picture of Jesus. Jesus is my rock. Jesus sustains me, but he uses Lauren over and over again. And I realized that, that I believed that I was the leader and that Lauren was to, to follow me but that wasn't really what was happening. And if, if we're happy and that's not what's happening and that doesn't really support all of what I see in scripture, what could Paul be talking about? Why would he use this terminology? And so I started to kind of dig into this and get a little deep in it. And, and, and what I discovered is, again, going back to the original language, when he uses this word for head, that sometimes it means head like a CEO, like a leader. But most of the time, and not just in the Bible, but if you look at other Greek documents that were written at the same time as the Bible, so the people that Paul's writing to, the way they would understand writing in this time, most of the time, a majority of the time, almost always, head means source, as in like the source of a river. The head of a river is where the water flows into the river, where it begins. Remember how Jesus went back to the beginning? Paul is saying, if we go back to the beginning, man is head of... The wife, because Eve comes from Adam. But if, we, if you go back and listen to last week, in no way does that show any kind of hierarchy or subordination because Adam and Eve were equal. And Christ is head of the church, as in he is the source of the church. We get our strength, we get our being, we get our... Everything we do, is, it flows from Christ. And so if you, my, my better understanding of, is not head, as in CEO, the head is in source. And the reason I think that is because I believe that, that businesses run better with one CEO and not two, right? And I used to apply that to the husband and wife. Like a, a, a household is going to run better if it's just the husband as the CEO and the wife is following. But what I realized is I was placing the husband in Jesus' place. Because if there's only one CEO, there's only one leader, that leader has got to be Jesus. That's got to be the Holy Spirit giving us guidance and direction. And I've got support for that. I'm not just, I'm not just saying that. If you go to 2 Timothy verses 1, or chapter 1, verse 51, it says this. I'm reminded of your sincere faith when first, when, when first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. So Paul is talking, and he's saying, when I look at you, Timothy, I see a man following after God. I see a man with a sincere faith, with genuine heart for God. And I know that you got that not from your grandfather not from your father but from your mother and grandmother it's the women that passed down spiritual leadership to timothy this is this is amazing news i can't tell you how many conversations i've had people with the fathers who have walked out of the, on their home fathers who had left them and it's the mom that worked two jobs it's the mom that supported the family it's the mom that raised the kids And there's this this joy of knowing that, hey, you weren't living without a father. You weren't living without a CEO or a leader. Your mother filled that role. Another verse in uh, Timothy, that first one was 2 Timothy. This one is 1 Timothy 5.14. It says, so I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, and to manage their homes and not give the enemy an opportunity for slander manage their homes. What do you think the word manage means? Lead, <laughs> am I right? So there's this, there's this beautiful picture. There's times where, where we read last week where the, a man should be, uh, if an overseer should be a husband of one wife, we kind of unpack that, that that doesn't just mean that men are the only ones that can be there. He's talking about monogamy, but if you, if you keep going, it says that the, an overseer has to have authority. He has to manage his home well. But then here we see the woman is supposed to manage the home. There's this mutual submission. There's this mutual, it becomes a a competition to see who could submit the most. And that's what makes these marriages work. It's not about having authority, but it's about having submission for one another. And so as we come into our last point, the first one is that we're supposed to be unified and point to Jesus. The second one is we do that through mutual submission. And that means that marriage is not a hierarchy, But the third point is marriage is co-leadership. You're in it together. It's a submission competition, if you will. Not seeing who can have their way, who can get their dreams, who can get their things achieved, but you start thinking of the spouse over yourself. You do everything in your power to place the spouse's dreams and desires above your own. What would our marriages look like if we were willing to lay down our career so that our spouse could have their dream? What would our families look like if we cared about the other person more than we cared about ourselves? It's about seeking Christ and allowing him to be the CEO, him to be the leader. There's a, I was listening to this uh, kind of prayer experiment, and what they did is they had two people who were strangers. They sat down across from each other, and when they're sitting there, they take a certain amount of time, and they sit there quietly and they just pray to God to themselves. And they're asking the Holy Spirit to, to, remove, to remove any sin from their life. They're asking the Holy Spirit to speak to them. They sit there quietly and they listen. They just listen. And after some time of doing that, they begin to pray for the person across from them in complete silence. They never pray out loud. They're just praying for that person across from them. And then, after the the time of prayer is over, the, the leader asked them to kind of talk about what they prayed about and the stories that came from this about how they never said a word to the person. They didn't know the person in front of them at all, but they would pray for specific situations, for specific things going on in families, for specific illnesses that were happening. And the Holy Spirit was moving, even though there was no conversation. That's what it's like to have co-leadership. That when your spouse is in a place that you're you're so in tune with each other and you're so in tune with God that the Holy Spirit is speaking to both of you. That's the story of how Revive came to be. God would call me to Covington to start a church. And I said, God, Lauren is from North Carolina. We're going to be moving five hours from her family. You've got to call her too. And later that night, or a few nights later, we're in the kitchen cooking. And Lauren says, What if we moved to Covington to start a church? You see, that's, that's that co leadership. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to both of us at the same time, even though we, we didn't say anything to each other. That's that saying, Hey, we're in this together. That's when we have conversations about how we want to raise Addie Lee. That's when we have conversations about the actions we want to take as a family. That's when we sit there and we we let God, we let Jesus, the Holy Spirit, move our heart, stir our soul, be our leader. And we are always fighting to put the other first. Now, do we get it right all the time? No. We, we had a conversation a while back, and, and there were some very clear things that I was not doing that I needed to do, and I apologized for them um, after, after let's just say, much debate. Um, but the Holy Spirit said, hey, George, shut up. You're wrong. She's right, right? Doesn't happen often, but it happened. Okay, okay, maybe it happens more often than I'd like to admit, right? And in that moment, but but here's the deal. We were talking yesterday, and... I've tried really hard to address this issue that she brought up, that the Holy Spirit brought up through her, that Holy Spirit spoke to me and literally our home is a better place. Am I wrong? Because of these issues being addressed. What we have to understand is that if a marriage is gonna work, that you are in it together, you are doing everything you can to fight for the other person. This has a real practical application for me. And just to be vulnerable before you guys for a little bit, there was a time when we were renovating the church and it seemed like we were treading water we were working and I was working full-time at Wells Fargo doing coffee stuff and the church stuff, and it was just like nothing was happening. And I I got into a depression, and I can remember seriously just sitting in the bed crying, absolutely broken. And, you know, I'm the spiritual leader of the family. But in that moment... I never saw Jesus so bright as through my wife. And she begins to encourage me. She begins to speak hard truth into me. And she begins to lead me spiritually out of that moment, out of that depression. Who knows what kind of situation I'd be in today if it weren't for God using her, if it weren't for me submitting to her spiritual guidance, not just always leadership, but sometimes it's spiritual leadership. There's this understanding of knowing that it's the other person that has to be put before myself. We can't be afraid to go first. There's going to be times where your spouse is not submitting like they're supposed to. You can't be afraid to submit anyway. You have to let God lead. Don't submit in a situation that's causing you harm or there's abuse in it. Don't hear me wrong. What I'm saying is that if you are fighting for each other, that even when your spouse, oh, they're getting on your nerves, what have you still submitted first? Romans 5, 8 says that, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners. He died for us. Not, not once we said, okay, if you go to the cross and forgive me of my sins, then I'll start following you. No, while we were still sinners, while we still had no idea who Jesus even was, while we were still on our own path, while we were still hurting God, turning our back on him, hurting ourselves, making terrible decisions, Christ went to the cross and died for us. He went first. And if we're going to be like Christ in our marriages, we have to be willing to go first. This is so theological, but it's so practical. Your marriage, what is theology? Studying God. Your marriage is supposed to point to God. That's how they tie together. Are we unified? Are we pointing to Jesus? Are we sacrificing for the other person, putting their hopes and dreams and desires before our own? If not, I think it's time for some things to change. So, who wears the pants? It's my hope that there are times when you both wear the pants. And if you're married, sometimes neither of you wear the pants. Let's pray. (laughs) (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you that you gave your life for us. We thank you that you are so for marriage that you died for us. Lord, that you are, you're so for our relationships with each other, not just inside of marriage, but period, that you care about us being unified, care about us as a church sacrificing for one another, care about us as a church for, for lifting each other up, putting each other's needs above our own. And I pray that our, marriage, our marriages will just be an extension of our church relationships, of our relationships with you, that you will move in a mighty way because of the way we love and support each other. Let it be about us working together inside of our family units, working together, fighting for each other instead of against each other. And Lord, I pray that when we hit these barriers, when we hit this place where it seems like we can't move forward, I pray for times of of your spirit speaking so loudly we can't ignore it with direction and guidance for which way we're supposed to go. No matter what obstacle is before us, no matter what kind of roadblock we feel like we need to work through as a couple, I pray that we're putting you first, submitting to each other, and that we can handle whatever Satan throws our way, that he doesn't have a foothold in our church and he doesn't have a foothold in our families because you have a stronghold on who we are and you are leading us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.